Welcome to the JomoCast. I'm your host, Christina Crook. Join us as we sit down with leading founders, creators, and thought leaders to learn how they embrace the joy of missing out. These guests are choosing to digitally detox and usher balance into their busy lives. Let's dive right in. You're probably listening to this podcast on your smartphone or maybe a laptop or tablet if you're at home. You've almost certainly had at least one Zoom chat or meeting since the COVID-19 lockdown started. If you've got kids, they're likely spending more time than ever on social media, video games, or sharing videos on TikTok with their friends. I've got some news that's going to be hard for some listeners out there to hear, but which we all need to realize. None of this technology is going away. After the pandemic, We may take some new understandings of ourselves back into the world, but Zoom, Facebook, and TikTok will still exist, continue proliferating, continue being required tools for many of our jobs and daily lives. Very, very few of us will be able to move to an old order Amish community or go off the grid and escape most modern technology. However, we may want to believe it, realistically, we do not have the unfettered choice not to live online. This understanding makes my next guest's work and ideas especially important. Pamela Pavlisak specializes in emotionally intelligent design and emotion-sensing artificial intelligence. Her research has been featured on CBC's Spark, Salon, and Quartz. Her book, Emotionally Intelligent Design, focuses on how to design a future that has as much EQ as it does IQ. Pamela is a TEDx speaker and has spoken at South by Southwest, Web Summit, and Google Creative Labs. She teaches at Pratt Institute School of Information in New York and serves on an international committee to develop ethically aligned AI. Here's the thing I love about Pamela's work. She's discovered that people who are happy with tech do things differently. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pamela Havlisak. Welcome, Pamela. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So where am I speaking to you from today? Well, I'm in the beautiful Hudson Valley, which is about 100 miles north of New York City. At home. At home, <laughs> as as we all are. <laughs> yes, and we were just chatting before we started hitting record, and you've got three kids who are navigating this season of time. What is that looking like right now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, everyone in our household went through some phases. There was definitely some initial shock and then some denial, and I think... For my kids who are mostly their tweens and teens, they're, you know, getting very bored, frustrated, um, you know, waiting, like, when is this going to end kind of, kind of deal. So, and of course, it's presented challenges for how we all spend so much time together and how we spend time with our technology, too. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in our family, uh, we've onboarded technology that we sort of weren't expecting to bring on board at this point in time. I remember when COVID first hit, it was like, it's movie night every night. You know, <laughs> like it was just sort of a, it's like a survival. Like, let's just find something that's connecting and low stakes and just enjoyable. How has that shifted a little bit for you guys? Yeah, well, I think we went through some of the same at first. We tried to make the most of it and enjoy it. And we, of course, went through, you know, all the phases of movie night, baking bread together, um, you know, intermittent panic shopping, things like that all together. But I think as far as technology goes, I mean, the big transition um, for all of my kids was moving all of school online. Mm -hmm. And the school had several different platforms that they were using. It kind of depended on the teacher and their comfort level. And everyone was scrambling for that. But over these past months, they've really sorted out some interesting new approaches to technology that I I think are kind of fascinating. So for my youngest one, who is um, sadly leaving elementary school behind, I think it's sadder for me than for her, Um, but she's really, she has a best friend and they spend, and this will probably disturb some of your, some of your listeners, but they spend almost all day online together. And a lot of it is the camera's just on and they're sort of side by side playing and living their lives. I almost feel like she's part of our family now. And Mm. I think it's because of the company. They play games together sometimes. Sometimes they watch something together. They help each other with their homework sometimes. Sometimes it's just, you know, silently doing their own things and having another person in the room. But she's created this space to have companionship virtually. And now that they can get together a little bit, we're kind of expanding our our bubble with distancing and masks and all that. I noticed and asked her about this. I said, you know, it seems like a little awkward when you two finally saw each other in person. And she said, yeah, mom, I know because it's so, she didn't use the word intimate and and Mm. personal, but that's kind of what she was getting at. Like it's so, she's been such a part of my my room basically and like my world. And then to see her again at a distance, it felt strange. And I just wonder how much of that Um, We're going to encounter in our own, you know, adult lives as we slowly make our way back, back into the world. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed that with my daughter as well, because we have prioritized um, that the kids' relationships probably ahead of our own. Um, Interesting how parents do that a little bit. Um, But yeah, watching my daughter and her best friend, they've done sort of this porch stoop, you know, at, at least 10 feet apart visits um, from the street. And I feel like I'm having to prompt them, you know, like, how are things going? What are you enjoying right now? Trying to get the conversation a little, greasing the wheel a little bit for them. So yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see how we transition back to what what we take with us, you know, in terms of technology and what we leave behind. The reason why, Pamela, I'm so excited to speak with you is because in your research, you've had hundreds of people track their highs and lows with technology 
in diaries. I find this so fascinating. And you've discovered that lows invariably form around what you call negative distortion. I would love for you to explain for us um, what negative distortion is. Yeah, well, I think it it takes shape in a few different forms. I mean, we think about um, a lot of times we think about our relationship with technology and we think, oh, it's distracting. It's pulling me away from real life. And so we frame a lot of our well-being like, oh, yeah, we need to have this time offline to kind of rebalance things. And there's a little bit of truth in that, of course. But I think what I found when digging into to people's sort of daily records of, of what was making them feel unhappy or feel like there was a mismatch, it was about this distortion. And two major things stood out to me. One was a distortion of time, where they felt like they were either losing time, time was going too fast, or time was being expanded in this weird way. And so that relationship with time was a distortion. But maybe an even bigger one is the way it distorts our emotional lives. I think a lot of technology is, well, it's kind of this weird, weird dichotomy that we face in the design world when we're thinking about technology is designers are often tasked with making something seamless, efficient, easy, taking away all the friction points. And that might lead to our time distortion idea, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to, to move through this and get lost in it. But it also takes away sort of that emotional register that we might have as well. So there's that extreme. But then on the other extreme, you have a lot of attention-seeking technology that is getting attention by maximizing our emotions in a weird way. And, you know, what makes viral content? Well, intense emotion, intense anger and outrage, intense fear, intense disgust. Those are the emotions that are fueling our attention. And it's unnatural for us to be in that kind of heightened state all the time, right? We've we've evolved to take signals that um, are threats and feel that intensely and react. But when we're constantly in a state of that, it feels like we're not ourselves. And Our reality is not the same. It's distorted. Those two aspects of distortion really stood out to me. And I think it can help us all a little bit to understand our own technology use. Because I I know, at least for myself, I often, you know, think about, oh, I'm spending too much time or I'm spending too, um, I'm getting too involved in this conversation I shouldn't be involved in. And I have to step back sometimes and say like, well, listen, how is this distorting my relationship, distorting my emotional life, distorting my sense of time? Is it doing that? And if it is, that's maybe a cue for me to to step back and reflect on it. And when you do step back, is it about sort of grounding in real time and space to to realign with what you value and, and how you want to be spending your time? Like what, what when you step back, what are you actually trying to do? I think for me, it's a big part of it is trying to figure out like, well, what's what's behind this bad feeling? You know, mm. a lot of times we we don't really go that far and look at, well, what's 
the motivation that's under this or what's the what's the problem on the surface and what's kind of the the larger issue behind it mm. probably every household has this this daily struggle where somebody is kind of doom scrolling <laughs> and, and shouting out like oh here's this terrible thing here's that terrible thing and the, the other person is like no stop don't do that anymore and I feel like you know you can do you can be that no stop person for yourself too and say like okay yeah I'm not gonna get caught in this this loop I'm going to I'm realizing that this is making me feel terrible or this is pulling me into behaviors that are not productive um, or not um, satisfying to me. My thought, as I hear you speaking about the work of asking yourself, you know, what's behind this bad feeling, actually confronting the, you know, those feelings and those questions, that's very attentive and effortful work. You know, this isn't sort of an easy, like, just turn it off and take a break in 24 hours, you know, once a week to reset. This is what I'm hearing you say is that this is constant, ongoing attentiveness to the ways in which technology and our engagement with technology affects our emotions. Yeah, I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be, there's certainly effort in it. It doesn't have to be overwhelming or, you know, a, a burden but I think it's to our benefit to really examine what's going on behind that. So what I got frustrated with, with the idea of, you know, like a digital detox or just taking a break from technology is that, well, that made me feel better for a day, but then I'm like right back into it mm-hmm. when I go back. Right. And these technologies are underpinning so many important aspects of my work and my relationships and my hobbies and interests and personal life that it's not very realistic for me to pull away from them. And and really many of those activities are nurturing and fulfilling and joyful. And I, and I don't want to give those activities up. And so I do think, I mean, we can certainly use a time where we're stepping away from technology to examine those issues, but I do think it's something that we should reflect on. And I guess even beyond that, because so much of our technology is shaped by how we interact with it, that if we did that work of self-reflection and tried to match up what we do more with like how we want to live, we could probably train the algorithms a little bit to respond to that, right? Mm. So right now we're all like, I think a lot of technology design is appealing to sort of our most basic instinct for survival, you know, this fear or anger, and that's what's getting us to engage. What if we said, you know, that's not really right for me. Or I want to be, sometimes I'm, I'm angry and that's not a negative thing. That can be a productive thing, but I, I want to decide. Then we're sort of training the machines through our behavior, like how we want to be and what we want to do. And that subtle shift can potentially happen. You said that, quote, if you ask people whether technology makes them happy, they will look puzzled. Most will talk instead about how technology is taking up too much time, distracting them from real life and generally making them miserable. But you ask, but what about the positives? 
And this is where I want to camp out with you for the rest of our conversation. You say that people who are happy with technology do things differently. This is what you've discovered through your research. You say that the difference is part mindset and part action. And so I want to know what do people who are happy with technology do? What do they do differently? I think it forms around kind of three core ideas that I saw is that they are using technology for things that are making their lives meaningful. And it's not about using technology. It's about using it as support for those meaningful things in their lives. And for me, those clustered around creativity, connection, and compassion or care. And I like three C's because it makes it easier for me to remember <laughs> what yeah, they are absolutely. as well. And those could be big things or little things, right? Sometimes we think about creativity and I think, oh, you know, that's going to be a big project or it has to be something really important or it has to be art. But in fact, what I saw is people who were happy were finding these little moments of creativity, like making a playlist to share with somebody or putting together, um, well, my, my research was pre-TikTok, but I think that would qualify for it in some, some way, or putting together, um, you know, so, an awesome uh, photo that they had edited or something along that line, you know, that it was supporting an activity that made them feel validated, made them feel creative, made them feel good about themselves. Um, and I think the same goes for this idea of connection, right? A lot of times we think about connection and technology, and we think too literally about connection, like connection is shrinking the distance between people. And I think that's kind of a, a an emotion poor way to think mm. of, te- of connection, right? I think of connection as bringing people together to create an intimate moment, to be playful to really get a moment of true like understanding or empathy with each other. And so with those folks that were feeling more positive about their use of technology, they were using the technology at hand to support those bigger goals. And so that's where the balance comes in, right? It's not about like, oh, I I need to learn this tool or use this technology or um, focus on that piece of it. It's more focusing on like, well, these people are important to me or this creative activity makes me feel good about myself or this way of showing that I care about a cause or about other people is really crucial to my well-being. And how can I use the, the tools that are out there and adapt them even to, to how I want to work. And I think that's another thing we could talk about too, is how people really, I don't know if you want to call it hacks, but they, they adapt the technology to the way that they want to use it instead of maybe mm-hmm. using it the way the makers of the technology itself might have wanted to be used. Right. So give us an example of a way someone could hack it for well-being or hitting one of these goals of community creativity or caring? Yeah, well, I think some interesting examples were around um, people who were using health apps like to track their fitness or their health. Now, that's a tool where it's really easy to get caught up in the numbers and get competitive and feel bad about yourself. 
But instead, they were, I'll use the word hacking loosely, because they, were, they weren't like going, getting in the code or changing anything. But they were using it in a way that was sort of probably not the way it was intended to be used, use it as a way I had one person using it as a companion to a journal that they were keeping about their mental health and trying to make those connections between the data that they were getting from their fitness app and their mental health. I had people using mood tracking apps that were using it as a conversation starter with a partner to look at like, you know, I noticed that I'm getting really angry in these kinds of situations and I think I know what's going on here. So people are taking this app that could be used, maybe is intended to be used in one way, and adapting it to how it's relevant for their lives and not feeling kind of constrained by that. Um, a social media example would be using um, Twitter for small conversations rather than broadcast. There were lots of people in my group who were doing just exactly that kind of thing, trying to use it to engage in conversation and meet people and explore ideas and even take that offline in some cases. And I think that's a way that's kind of an alternative use of a technology that supports personal goals and your personal well-being. Since COVID hit, our lives are more mediated than ever. All our social activities, our work, even major life events like weddings have moved online. Finding balance amidst the digital demands has never been so important. That's why we're here. The JomoCast gives you tools to find more human connection and joy, to be intentional with your technology and step away from toxic hustle and comparison. And everything we do is 100% supported by you, our listeners. Every episode of the JomoCast takes at least 40 hours of loving labor to produce. Because we know this matters. The only reason it can happen is the support of our Patreon community. You can join for as little as $3 a month As part of our crew, you'll get exclusive Jomo swag, handcrafted snail mail, fully sanitized and in a lick-free envelope, and a shout-out on the show. But more importantly, you'll get direct access to a huge bank of resources for finding balance in a digital world. And you'll be part of the real, practical conversations happening in our community of curious, creative joy seekers. Join by visiting patreon.com forward slash JomoCast. Find the link in our show notes. I love those ideas. Just the framing around using technology to support larger goals, I think, is the takeaway that I'm hoping that listeners today will bring forward with them. And I have questions and curiosity about how people might have come to identifying those goals maybe before they engaged online, but it's never, it's never that clear, right? It's very fluid. Um, Do you have anything to sort of say to that, to speak to that in terms of supporting the larger goals? I think it's something that 
for most people that I spoke to and that I heard from was that they didn't set out and say, okay, these are my, these are my life goals, or this is what I want to do. They weren't really thinking in that context. Instead, what they were doing either intuitively, they were using and adapting the technology for these, these three overarching kind of goals, or they were noticing actively when the technology was failing them, instead of saying like, ah, I need time off from that. Instead, they were saying, how can I use this in a different way? Can I use this in a different way? If not, then yeah, maybe I need to let go of this platform in my life. If I can, if I can use it to create, say, a smaller social space rather than a big one, or I can use it to create um, cool, you know, mixes for my friends rather than getting overwhelmed by ads or whatever the case is, then, then yeah, it, it's worth it. And I think it's always, there are always going to be some trade-offs involved in that process as well. And thinking about, well, what is it that's a positive and do those positives balance out the, the negatives and maybe a constant stock taking too, like, am I slipping back into that? Am I feeling bad? And I've got to say, I think that's natural. You know, I, I, I think um, I struggle with this myself. So I am on and off social media. I, like sometimes I'm loving it and it's feeling like a good conversation and I'm learning lots of things and there are people I admire and look up to. And then other times it just feels too gloomy and depressing. And there are some things I can do. I can go through and say like, ah, yeah, you know, I need to uh, not look at trending topics, or I need to follow these certain people and just take my whole experience off the platform and in, in a kind of a reader platform, or, you know, there's active things I can do, or I can decide like, you know, I think I just need a break mm. from this for now as well. So I think it's, it's not a one-time all or nothing experiment. And that's what it is. I mean, we're all really kind of in this giant experiment together. Yeah. <laughs> and it's come on really quickly and it's challenged us on a personal level in our workplace as parents on all these levels and I think it's quite extraordinary to to live in this time and and I'm talking about this time generally the last decade or two. Um, and now if you layer in sort of the current space that we're in, in a global pandemic, that accentuates some of the things we really value about technology and some of the things that maybe we're willing to let go. It's been a great time of reflection, I think, for a lot of people. Absolutely. I feel like every conversation I'm having is about the essential and the non-essential. Yeah, just such clarification. I I think the tolerance for, well, really anything that isn't life-giving or, in, you know, to use the language that I center around, you know, joyful is uh, very low. At least that's what I've experienced in my own life, especially at the beginning of all of this. I was like, I just don't have time for this. <laughs> like, I need a bath. Like, that's what needs to happen right now. You know, everything else can sort of fall away um, and leaning into the conversations that are are good. I, I think a lot of the wrestle that I hear from my community is around the belief that this is a self-control issue and having bad feelings about being online too much. And I just I I love how 
um, your teaching us to be more emotionally intelligent about the way that we approach technology? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, there's, there's no point in kind of blaming and shaming yourself about this because a lot of it is we're all learning as we go along. A lot of it is, you know, we're learning. And I think especially now what the platforms can do better, what they do well and what they don't do well. I think, you know, one thing that's top of mind for everyone is now that we're all on Zoom all the time, even now, is what kinds of things can it do well and what kinds of things are still falling short, right? And we know a lot of things are are difficult. If we're on video, we definitely in our everyday interactions don't see ourselves as we're talking to other people. That's a big cognitive dissonance that we have. Mm-hmm. We miss a lot of the, the nonverbal cues in Zoom um, that you know, there may be a way to supplement that with technology. Um, perhaps there may not, but like, these are things that not only do, do we have to ourselves kind of reflect on and prioritize and sort of feel like, yeah, it's not just me, but also these are things, I think it's a time where a lot of the tech platforms can look and say like, well, what could we do better? Yeah, we can, we can provide a space for people to have conversations but are we supporting healthy conversations? Are we supporting intimacy? Are we letting people have that connection? That's really goes deeper than than just a cursory workplace conversation. <laughs> so I think we're all kind of figuring this out together. Not only all of us as using technology, but everyone who's a creator of technology as well. Emma, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. This was really a wonderful conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the JomoCast. Learn more about our guests in the show notes and by visiting JomoCast.com. And remember to subscribe to the JomoCast to be the first to hear our latest episodes. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're interested in helping us keep these raw, vulnerable conversations going, leave us a five-star review or share today's podcast with your friends. I hope the rest of your day brings you peace and that you embrace the joy of missing out.